taking the opportunity to reflect upon the sacrifice and the great victory that Jesus Christ brought about by what he did for all mankind. Now, if you think about communion at its very core, what would you say it's about? Some people would say, well, you know, it's about remembering Jesus. Some people would say it's about uh, partaking of the elements, you know, and we'd come up with different things. But I want you to think about this, that at its very core, communion is about a relationship. It's about a relationship. It's not only a reminder of the sacrifice and victory of Christ. It's a tangible depiction of what Christ did on our behalf so that we could be in relationship with him. Now, the word communion is made up of two words. Anybody know what those words are? (laughs) Communion, yeah. Communion, yes, it's two words. The word communion is made up of two words that make up one powerful reality. It's one that even the world understands at its most basic level when we come into union. Listen to how Webster's Dictionary defines communion. It says it is the act of sharing. It also defines it as spiritual fellowship. Oxford's Dictionary defines it this way. It says it's a relationship of recognition and acceptance between Christian communities. It also defines it as the sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings in relation to the sacrifice of Christ. So if you think about it, simply put, communion can be defined as believers coming into union with God and one another because of the sacrifice of Christ. If you think about what Jesus did, Jesus was not on the cross. He says, oh, Father, I'm just doing this for good little Christians. There were no Christians at that point because he had not been resurrected, right? He did it for the entire world. Why? Because God is interested in the entire world. He's interested in the person who's poor, in the person who's rich, in the person who thinks they have it together, and the one who's trying to get it together, the one who lacks, and the one who has abundantly, the one who who, uh, possesses many things, and the one who is striving in life. God came for each and every person because each and every one of us need what God offers us. And so one night when the Lord sat at the table, with, uh, 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 on the night when the Lord sat at the table with the first disciples and instituted what we know as the sacrament of communion, these disciples, they were there. But I want you to consider something. They weren't at the table. Now, I know you're kind of, okay, how, how do you figure that? Think about this. While Jesus announced the impact of his sacrifice, he was telling them what was about to happen. He had been telling them up to this point on a few different occasions. The scriptures record that he was telling them, listen, I'm going to be turned over to, 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 uh, uh, for, to be crucified, to be judged and crucified. I'm going to die. He, he had told them this. And so while Jesus had announced the impact of his sacrifice, the disciples did not understand it. They did not. They had a place at the table on this night. But they were taking their place, but they weren't taking their place at the table with Christ. So tonight, I'd like to talk to you for a couple of moments on the topic, your place at the table. I'm going to say that again, your place 
at the table. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the same table that they were at with Christ is one that's available to you and I today. Because what Jesus was offering that night and what he was instituting that night was union with him. It was, he was depicting to them, this is what's happening. My body will be broken for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, you're, you're coming into unity with what, what will occur to me and it will impact you. It will lift you. It will heal you. It will make you whole. And so there were many things happening in the hearts of the disciples on this very night. There was fear. There was doubts, many of them. There were even some selfish desires. There was betrayal. There was the real sense of loss. They were saying, why can't we go with you? Where are you going? And these things, among many other things, were going on in the hearts and in the minds of these disciples on that night. But despite the condition of their hearts and what was sure to come by their preceding action after his arrest, Jesus affirmed his union to them with many sayings. Let me, let me show you what I mean. I'll just give you three. John 15, 3 through 4, at the communion table that night, Jesus says, you are already clean. Now, I want you to think about this. He's talking to guys who are going to turn their back on him, deny him. They doubt, they're going to doubt him. They're going to run in fear after he's been crucified. For fear of men, of people, right? One of them was going to betray him. As a matter of fact, betrayal was already in his heart. He was, it was all in his heart. He was ready to do it. He was set on doing it. And listen to what Jesus says. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Consider John 15, 11. He says, these things I have spoken to you. Watch this, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus is saying you're sorrowful, but what you don't know is that what I'm giving you is the fullness of joy. I'm giving you a reason to raise your praise. I'm giving you a reason to live life Fully to expect my very best, to look forward with great anticipation. In Matthew 26, verses 26 through 28, it says, As they were eating, Jesus took bread, he blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Verse 27 says, Then he took the cup and gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it. Listen to this, all of you. All of you. This is for every last one of you. All of you. He says, for this is my blood of the new covenant. He's saying, listen, you're still thinking about this old covenant, this old way, these laws that you've been raised with, the laws of Moses. But he says, I'm introducing something new. And it's for all of you. It's for all of you. So he says, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. The essence of his words all conveyed one powerful message. You belong at the table because I am in relationship with you. I was, uh, I was in a meeting earlier today with a, a young man. 
and uh, we got together really early in the morning, and uh, we were talking, and, and, you know, he was sharing with me where he is, and I was encouraging him and pointing some things out to him, you know, just spending some time with him. And he says to me at one point in our conversation, he goes, you know, there was a time where uh, I wasn't walking with the Lord. And I'm trying to understand what he's saying because as I'm listening to him, he's talking to me about a time in his life after he accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior. But he was going through some difficult times. And I asked him a question. I couldn't help myself. I said, let me ask you something. When was it that you weren't walking with Jesus? Where, where was Jesus when you say you weren't walking with him? And he says, I mean, you know, I, I was, you know, I just kind of turned my, my focus in life. And I said, but where was he even when you were doing that? And at that moment, he got it. He says, I get it. He, he was always with me. And I want you to consider something about relationship with Christ and what he made possible by his sacrifice. He promised this, I'll never leave you. I'll never leave you. When it looks crazy, I'll never leave you. When you have questions, I'll never leave you. When you yet don't have your answer, but you're awaiting faithfully, I'll never leave you. When nothing makes sense, I'll never leave you. When the future isn't clear, I'll never leave you. When you're lacking, I'll never leave you. When everybody leaves you, I'll never leave you. Listen, the relationship that we have with Christ, this, this, this uh, sacrament that we're, we're partaking of tonight in remembrance of Christ is a reminder to us of the union that we have with him because he chose it. You know what the scripture says about you and I? He says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you to bear much fruit. And then he says this, fruit that will last. Check out the, the, the relationship that you and I have with Christ. And take yourself out of the equation. Because relationship with Christ, yes, Jesus says, abide in me. But watch why he says abide in me. Because my words abide in you. Listen, there's, there's some people you may be struggling in your relationship with, with, with God. But that doesn't mean that he's struggling in his relationship with you. He's not. He's not. He loves you too much. He's committed to you. He's in relationship with you. Man, I pray this is blessing your heart because I, I need to hear this message tonight, right? So if anything, praise God. I, I, I thank God for what he's doing, right? Because this word is speaking to me. I might as well just have a seat. But listen, the Bible recounts a moment in the life of a man named Mephibosheth who was invited to King David's table. He was invited to King David's table to have a seat at his table, to have a place, to have provision from his kingdom. He was invited into royalty. The thing about it is 
that when he was when he received this invitation, this guy Mephibosheth struggled with it. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? When somebody says, "Oh man, you know, I just want to bless you," you go, "No, no, I'm good. No, 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 I can't accept that, man. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm good, man. No, I don't. No, no, please, please, no, 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 no. Well, let me give you something in return. No, 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 stop. That's where Mephibosheth was, right? But, but the thing about Mephibosheth is that he was the grandson of a king named Saul. Saul was the king that preceded David, who was now king, right? So in essence, this man, Mephibosheth, had royal blood flowing through his veins. He was royalty. Even though there was another king, this guy was royalty. He was of royal lineage, so the scriptures say that when David took over as king, and Bible scholars, they, they estimate that Mephibosheth was somewhere between five and eight years old when this happened. But when David took over as king, Mephibosheth's caretaker, his nanny, right, she took off in a hurry for a distant land called Lodabar because she feared that he would be killed because he was Saul's grandson. I'm going to explain that to you. In those days... There was one of two ways that a king came in. Number one, he died, and his son, and, and the incoming king would be in the line of, 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 as a son to this king. That's one way you'd become a king. The other way is you killed the king, and then you became king, right? Now, Saul had died in battle, and David becomes king, not by lineage to Saul, but by call, by a call from God. He's anointed by God. So in those days when a king came in that wasn't of the lineage of the prior king, usually what would happen was this king would kill off whoever was left in this, king's, in this, pre, this prior king's lineage to ensure his own reign, right? To ensure nobody can threaten or have a claim or a right to his throne. And so... When David, the day comes when David says, hmm, man, is there anyone left from Saul's line that I can show kindness to, that I can be good to, that I can bless? And the scripture says that, so the, I'm sorry, I, I, I kind of jumped the gun. Let me back up. Okay. We're back, we're back where we're supposed to be. That was a lot funnier in my head, right? No, listen. So anyway, this woman, she runs off with Mephibosheth, right? And while she's running in haste with little Mephibosheth because she's afraid that he's going to get killed by King David, right, and his, and his men, the scriptures say that young Mephibosheth suffers a fall. We don't know the explicit details to that, but what we do know is this. We do know that this fall was uh, hard enough that it caused him to be a cripple. It crippled him at his legs. And so this guy, young Mephibosheth, grows up in a distant land called Lodabar, right? Now, uh, this place called Lodabar, it, it, you would think, man, this guy got a tough break, man. He's crippled. But now he's in a place called Lodabar. And this place, Lodabar, means, literally means a place of no pasture. And the reason why it was named that is because nothing grew there. 
And you got to understand the magnitude of that because in an agricultural society, as the one they lived in in those days, where everything revolved around your animals and your crops, if you lived in Lodabar, yeah, life was hard. It was hard. Nothing grew there. It was a dry land. And so Mephibosheth grows up in this place called Lodabar, right? And it would seem that this is the ideal place for Mephibosheth to be hiding. Because after all, who's going to go to a place called Lodabar for anything? But the day comes when David, as I was saying, now we're fast forward, now we're caught up, right? Uh, where David remembers, he's remembering Saul, and he says, man, is there anyone in Saul's family line, anyone left that I can express kindness to, that I can, that I can uh, show goodness towards? And one of his servants says, King David, there is one. His grandson, Mephibosheth. But he's out in Lodabar. And the scriptures say that David says to his servant, gather the men and go bring him to me. And so I want you to imagine what this must have been like for Mephibosheth. Imagine that you are Mephibosheth in Lodabar and you are lying low. Nobody knows your story. Nobody knows really what's going on with you. And all of a sudden... A massive amount of men and emissaries from the king's palace show up, and they're asking for you. What are you, what are you what's going through your head? I'm found out. I'm a dead duck. Today's my day. It's over, right? So these men take Mephibosheth to David. I imagine that he's racked with fear, with anxiety. He's got questions. He's trying to figure out, how am I going to get this? Maybe he's just resolved himself to the fact that I'm going to die. So when Mephibosheth arrives before King David, the scripture says that he's met with a completely different outcome than he thought. Because David tells him that he's summoned him to show him kindness and give him a place at his table for the remainder of his life. The scriptures say that David says to him, you will eat at my table from this day forward. In other words, you will eat like I eat. You will eat the very best at my table. And it gets better. He says to him, and you know, all the lands that belong to your grandfather Saul, all the servants that belong to him, everything that, that, that was lost from the lineage of Saul, I'm restoring to you. So get this. David restores unto him everything that a king deserved. And you would think that this guy's response would be, I'm in the money. I'm in the money. That, that, that he's all excited. No, not at all. You know what? You know what Mephibosheth responds? Mephibosheth says this. He says, who am I that you would extend kindness to a dead dog? Who am I that you would notice a dead dog? Who am I? See, this guy had a dead dog mentality because he was crippled. In those days, if you were crippled or you had some sickly malady, you could not come before the king. You weren't allowed to. And so when this guy comes before David, 
it stands to reason that he's not simply thinking about dying. He's saying, man, I don't even deserve to be here. Everybody's looking upon my shame, the source of my shame, these crippled, these crippled legs. In the Jewish culture in those days and in the days of Jesus, if you were crippled or you were blind, you were relegated to be a beggar. You were seen as nothing. There was no use for you except for you to beg. That's how it was. And so this guy is before David, and I, and I, and I submit to you that most likely he, was, he wasn't thinking about the fact that he was going to die because in his mind he says, I'm already dead. I'm a dead dog. So he's racked with all this shame, all this, all, all, all this uh, uh, you know, fear of rejection, you know, and, and everything that he's grown up with. But you got to understand that while Mephibosheth was royalty and everything that pertained to a king is being given to him, Lodabar had become so ingrained in him that he could not believe that he deserved to be treated in such a manner. He didn't believe that he deserved the king's favor. And so his condition became his reason to reject his place at the table of the king. I want you to think about that. His condition, his life's circumstances, everything that he had undergone, all the shame, all that, was his reason to believe I don't deserve this kindness. I think we can all relate to that form of thinking and belief because at one time, and maybe you might be there even now in your life, but at the very least at one time, we all at some point lived with a dead dog mentality. I don't deserve what you have for me, Lord. I can't accept that. You know, I won't get into a whole bunch of details, but maybe you've been around here long enough. But I will tell you this, that I, I can remember having a dead dog mentality. I, I went to church growing up. But what was ingrained in me was fire and brimstone. What was ingrained in me was guilt every single week, every single service. And we went to service two, three times, sometimes four times a week. You guys already know what church I went to, right? Iglesia Cristiana Renacer, Mundial, Industrial, Llegando a Todo el Mundo. That was, it was one whole name, it was like a, a paragraph, right? And it wrapped around the whole van. Yellow van at that with red letters. You couldn't miss this bus. And they were there at 5 o'clock to pick you up. Bam, 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 and then they wouldn't leave until you came down. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm still healing, guys. I'm still healing. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry. <laughs> Listen, I grew up in this rigid understanding of a relationship with God. And so, for me, my dead dog mentality was, man, no matter how much I try to serve God, I'm not good. Never mind being good enough. I'm not good. I'm not right with God. Man, I just, I went to the movies. I'm going to hell. I was told that. 
I was told that. And, you know, after a while, the pastor got so sick and tired of me that one day he just said, son, there's no more salvation for you. For something dumb. And so you know what I said? Who am I but a dead dog before the Lord? What's the point of me trying? And so I went off to my own loader bar. And I struggled. And it impacted me and it robbed me. Actually, I robbed myself. Because where I went wrong was I never dared to look past a, dog dead, a dead dog mentality. Maybe you can relate to my story. So, in any event, one of the most powerful insights that we draw from Mephibosheth's life story, Mephibosheth's life story is that in a kingdom, the king's decree overrides what we decree. I'm going to say that again. In a kingdom, the king's decree overrides what we decree. So Mephibosheth goes, no, 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 David, David, you, don't, you just don't know my story. You just don't understand my situation. You, I, you don't get it. I don't deserve this. And David says, I'm not asking you if you deserve it. This is my decree. And from this day forward, you will sit at my table and eat with me. You will inherit the lands that belong rightfully to a king. You are royalty, and I will provide for you for all the days of your life. I, I don't know about you, but you need, uh, have you ever stopped to think that what you think pales in comparison to what God thinks and what God says? See, while Mephibosheth thought that he had a say in the matter, what the king said was the only thing that mattered. It's the only thing that mattered. Now, I want you to consider something. When David gave him a place at his table, this table proved to provide more than a daily meal. It, pro it proved to provide even more than the guarantee to the lands that were given to him. It proved to provide more than all the servants that came with it. It proved to provide more than the riches and the animals and the homes and everything that came with this deal. It provided so much more this table. You see, this table provided a covering for his feet. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. His feet were a source of shame. But I imagine that the day came when Mephibosheth sat at the table and looked around and he said, everyone's equal at the table. I can't see anybody's feet. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. At the table, where you've been, the shame you hold to, the false stinking thinking that you believe 
cannot override the covering at the table of the king. And I want you to see something. I don't know what you believe about who you are in God's sight. But today you need to know that you are royalty, that you are at the table, that you are covered, and that everything that the king provides belongs to you. Let me just give you some scripture to encourage your heart. 1 Peter 2.10 says, once you were not a people. Let me translate that. Once, you were not even someone that counted. But now, somebody say, but now. Man, listen, but now, you are not, not tomorrow, right? Not someday, but now, right now, at this very moment, ahora, right? But now you are God's people. Listen, once you had not received mercy, but now, somebody say with me, but now, but now you have received mercy. Listen, you need to begin to focus on what you received instead of what you've been holding on to that's back there somewhere that is not yours. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has... Some of you ain't getting that. Not who will, not who may, not who someday might change his mind about you. No, 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 no. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Say that with me. Who has blessed me. Say this. Who has blessed me. Yes, he has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Not just some blessing. Not just blessing in certain areas. You've been blessed with everything that God could bless you with. And so he says, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, I got to stop there because I know somebody just said, yeah, that's talking about my blessing in heaven someday. No, 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 no. That's talking about the source of your blessings. That's talking about where your blessings flow from. Because if you think your blessings flow from this, then you are sadly mistaken. Don't look around you for blessing. Receive it from up above. Every good and perfect gift, the scripture says, comes from God. And so he says, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us before the foundation of the world. Notice that we've got nothing to do with this. He says, he chose us from the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us to adoption as sons By Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, not yours. You know why it's not our will? Because if it was our will, we'd mess it up. Because we would say, yeah, but you don't understand, I'm a dead dog. 
You don't understand what I've done. You don't understand where I came from. You don't understand my upbringing. This is what I believe. This is how I see myself. This little old small little ant that everybody steps on. I don't matter. No, 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 absolutely not. It's it's according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Listen, you don't have to feel it. You don't have to see it. You don't. All you need to know is that God has decreed it. The king has spoken. And the king says, you have a place at my table. I want you to consider what the scripture says. Before the foundation of the world, he chose you, brother. He chose you. My sister, he chose you. Before you could ever trip and break a leg, he chose you. Before you could ever make a mistake, he chose you. Before you could ever drop the ball, he chose you. Before you could ever choose him, he chose you. Listen, the Bible says that Mephibosheth went on to eat at the king's table for the rest of his life. And in addition to that, he enjoyed a place of his own in the kingdom of God through the lands that were given to him that were deserving only to a king. Can I just simply tell you the essence of this message? The disciples found themselves at the table. They were there by express invitation of Jesus. He told them, go prepare where we are going to observe the Passover, where I'm going to wash your feet, and I'm going to show you the full extent of my love. Go and prepare. Go, make, go, go get everything ready where I am going to show you how much I truly love you. Yes, even you, Judas, while you're betraying me even now. Yes, even you. Even you, Peter. You, you acknowledge me when everybody else is around, but you deny me when you're out there on your own. Yeah, you too. Oh, Thomas, I know that you will doubt, that you, you, you need to see in order to believe, but I see greater than you. So I believe what I've decreed about you already. Listen, he, he, he loved them all to such an extent, and at that night, he invited them. To remind them and to show us that despite everything they would do and everything that was going on, they belonged. They belonged. Listen, even Judas belonged. But Judas chose his own way. But he belonged. He was loved. He was included in that conversation when Jesus said, yeah, this is for all of you. 
each and every one of you. I believe that David's generosity and mercy came out of his own experience with God. As we close here tonight and we prepare to take communion, I want you to listen to the words of David in that infamous portion of Scripture, Psalm 23. Verses 5 and 6. Listen to what David says. Thank you, God. He says, you prepare a table for me. You prepare a table for me. In the presence of my enemies. Now, I know for some of you, you're going, well, well man, what, what kind of Jesus is that? That he would take you where your enemies are at. No, no, you need to understand the context for this. I don't have a lot of time, but I'll just say this to you. In those days, shepherds, David is equating his relationship to that of the relationship between a shepherd and a sheep. Thus, he says in Psalm 23, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so when he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, he's referring to the point, that, that the moment where the shepherd would go to these lands that were referred to as table lands. They were high, it was high ground. And the shepherd would show up in these table lands in, in, in the wintertime before the spring. And what he would do during the wintertime is he would go up there and he would scout out the land and he would clear out uh, weeds and poisonous things that were growing. But he was also attentive to who were the prey. Where were they? And he would kill off as many as he could. But there were some that he wouldn't get to. There might be a bear. There might be a, lion, a mountain lion. There might be some sort of other animal. But he, he wouldn't be able to get to them. But here's what would happen when the shepherd would show up in the springtime with the sheep. He would take them to these lands and he would let them spread out on these fields and eat. And you know what the prey would do? You, you, you know what these, these predators, I'm sorry, not prey, predators, you know what these predators would do? They would lurk on the fringes. And man, they wanted to eat one of those sheep. But they dared not approach the sheep. You know why? Because the shepherd had already established, these are my sheep. You can't touch them. And if you try, I'll destroy you. So get this. David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He says, you anoint my head with oil. That speaks of choosing. That speaks of sanctification where you are set apart by God. He says, my cup overflows with this oil. You haven't just anointed me. You've abundantly anointed me. He says, surely. In other words, as a result, your goodness and your love, they will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My friends, tonight, as we partake of communion, I want you to do something.
right there where you are. Let's stand. I want you to do something. For those of you joining us online, grab your chips, your crackers, your cookies, whatever it is. Just join in on, on this with us. Let's partake together. But I want you to do something with us. I want you, before we take communion, before we take this communion, and we come into union, that you take a moment to see yourself at the table with Jesus. And here's what I want you to do after hearing this message that God is speaking to you and I. Don't make an excuse and don't disqualify yourself. You belong. You're in. You're accepted. His love and his mercy, man, they chase you down. Always. You can't help but walk into blessing. You can't help but trip over it. <laughs> Stop searching for it. It's yours. Strength is yours. Healing is yours. Peace is yours. Provision is yours. Your identity is cemented not on this earth but in heaven itself. Jesus has written in the Lamb's book of life and Next to your name is a crown associated with your name. And so tonight, accept this. You're his. And you're in relationship with him. Because he's chosen to be in relationship. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.